People have set dates for the return of Christ. So far, all have embarrassingly failed. But is there some way we can tell when Christ will return? Could Christ return in our day? And are there signs that point to this tremendous event? What will happen when and if He returns soon? A question that many people ask is this. Could Christ return in our day? Is it possible that Christ could return in this generation? Many people think, yes. But there's one thing that is very, very clear. We've got to be very, very careful about setting dates. Because there have been lots and lots of good people who have been very good at setting dates. It wasn't that long ago that people were saying that Christ was going to come in 2000 AD. You know this, don't you? I had people come to me and they say, Christ is going to come in 2000 AD. Why? Well, the earth is 6,000 years old and the millennium, next 1,000 years, is about to start. And they say, it's exactly 2,000 years since the birth of Jesus. Have you heard this? But that's problematic. Because Jesus wasn't born when most people think he was born. The Bible says he was actually born in the days of Herod the Great. And Herod died in March 4 BC. (laughs) Did you get that? So Jesus was born at least 5 BC or or 6 BC or 7 BC. So the year 2000 was actually 2006 years or so from the birth of Jesus. So that throws out that theory completely. Of course, you all know about BC time and AD time. In conventional circles, BC stands for before Christ. A.D. What does A.D. stand for? No, no, not after death. No, 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 not after death. The Latin, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Uh, The president uh, gave a pronouncement the other day and he said, in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. So when we say 2019, 2020 A.D., in the year of our Lord. But we got it wrong there by a number of years. If you go to Israel, they don't have B.C. in A.D. time. They have B.C.E., which means before the common era because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you go to China and other places that are atheistic, they have B.C.E. time and then they have C.E. time, which is the common era but I still stand by B.C. and A.D. Would you look at Matthew 2, verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, my friends, if you don't mind, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of what? Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And so Jesus was born, we believe, in 4 or 5 BC. 
when the first millennial came, millennium came, 1000 AD, Anno Domini, lots of people in the world believed that Christ was going to come then. Then in 1844, the Millerites taught that Christ was going to come. October 22, 1844. Um, right on the date, but very wrong in the event. Since then, other time setters. 1874, that didn't work. Let's try 1878. Uh, 1914 was taught by some of our friends. Then 1925, they actually built a house here in California uh, for all the saints to go and live in, like Abraham. In 1988, that conspicuous prognosticator or Bible student, Hal Lindsey taught that Christ was going to come, 1988. Um, this was taught around the world on Trinity Broadcasting. When it didn't happen, well, they just went on doing the same old thing. 1988. Would you come with me now to Matthew 24, verse 36 and 42. Matthew chapter 24 and verse, let me see, verse 36. Have you got that? Matthew 24, verse 36 then 42. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. So why do we try to set dates? I don't know. And verse 42, watch therefore, he said, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So the Bible is very plain. Uh, nobody knows the day or the hour when Christ is going to come. But note this, we do not know when, but we do know that his coming is an absolute certainty. We're absolutely certain that he is going to come because everything in creation moves towards that great final event. When you go and study history, we know that the universe was made by the hand of God. We know this is a fact. Then the Bible says that Christ came the very moment the clock of heaven struck. The Bible says, in the fullness of time. And the Bible tells us that God has got a, a plan and a purpose for this universe, a plan and a purpose for this planet, and a plan and a purpose for us. And Christ is going to come exactly at the right time because God has got a plan and a purpose. Would you look at Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5? words of the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, you notice that the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. The Bible says it happened in the fullness of time. So God has got a time for everything and for every person. So we cannot tell the exact time when Christ is going to come. But we can know, I want you to know this, we can know when his coming is near. Would you come to Matthew 24 and verse 33? Matthew 
chapter 24 and verse 33 to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, So you also, when you see, what does he say? All these things. When you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. So if I'm at the door, I'm pretty close. And so in the Bible, in the Bible prophecies, God, through the prophets, gave certain great signs. We're going to notice some of these today. And Jesus said, when you see all these great signs being fulfilled, you will know that my coming is near, right at the very door. And today, as we move along, we're going to notice some of those great signs. But firstly, great truths about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some great truths about his return. Number one, this is amazing. When he returns, he comes back as the king of the universe. He comes back as the almighty creator who made the universe. He doesn't come back as a tiny little baby, but he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. And I want you to turn to this text. I want you to come to Revelation 19, verses 11 to 14. And people say, why do you have so many texts? Because our authority is not the teaching of the church. Our authority is the teaching of the word of God, the Bible. So please notice Revelation chapter 19. Now I saw heaven open. Now this is a symbolic picture. And behold, a white horse. You don't take this literally. This is like a, just a great panoramic picture, great parable. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood because he died for our sins on the cross. He's got a robe, as it were, dipped in blood. And then it says his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. A great prophetic portrayal. It's a picture of the king of the universe coming with tremendous power and coming with tremendous glory. I want you to notice this. This is not the little baby born in Bethlehem. It's not just the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is the almighty God who made the universe. The almighty God who became a man and was crucified on the cross for our sins. And the Bible tells us the human race has an appointment with him. And he's going to come back and he's coming back in great power and great glory. And he comes, I want you to notice this. He doesn't come by himself. He comes with supernatural armies. It's quite astounding. It's quite amazing that this 
is going to happen, and I believe soon. Look at Revelation 19, 15, and 16, please. Revelation 19, 15, and 16. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, not literally. Not a literal sharp sword. But this is talking about the mighty power of his words, the mighty power of his utterances, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of all mighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I would suggest to you today that this is the greatest event in the history of the human race. One day everybody is going to kneel before him. You're going to kneel before him. Nebuchadnezzar from the Old Testament, he's going to kneel down. Belshazzar is going to kneel down. A Caesar is going to kneel down, I'm telling you. Herod the Great, who killed all the little baby boys, he's going to kneel down. All the mighty pharaohs are going to kneel down. Ramesses the Great, he's going to get down. His knees on his face. Ramesses is going to kneel down. The Caesars, all of them, they're going to kneel down. All of the popes are going to kneel down. All of the kings and the queens of Great Britain, they're going to kneel down. Uh, Everybody's going to kneel down. All the presidents of the United States are going to kneel down. Stalin is going to kneel down. Lenin, Brezhnev, Khrushchev. It's like the movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly, they're going to kneel down. I've got a message for you today. Look at me. You're going to kneel down. You may deny his existence today. You may say, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in Christ. I have news for you. You're going to kneel down and worship him. All men and women, the weak and the strong, the rich and the poor, everybody. That's the first great truth. He's going to come as a mighty king. Now, here's the second great truth, why he comes. He comes to save his own people. Did you know this? That is why if you truly believe in Christ, you're going to have a tremendous joy in your soul because the king is going to come. Did you know God has got a book and he's got the names of his people in that book? I want you to come to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. Last book in the Bible, we call it the Apocalypse. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. It says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. I want you to think about this. Now, the Bible all the way through uses symbolic language. The Bible is full of parables. And the book of Revelation especially, just full of symbolic language, it says that God has got a book. Now, I don't know what this book is like, but it means that God has a record. You say, I don't believe it. Well, whether you believe it or not, that doesn't really matter, does it? God has got a record of every life. And God has got this book, and it's called the Book of Life. Do you know how you get your name in that book? You get your name in that book by coming to Christ and by believing in Christ. And therefore, we should ask ourselves this question. Is my name written in the book of life? Because when Christ returns, it's going to be a day of tremendous celebration and a tremendous day of joy if my name is written in the book of life. Because the Bible teaches when Christ comes back, and this is almost too hard to believe, the Bible teaches when Christ comes back. You're listening to this. Christ is going to give a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the dead are going to come out of their tombs. You say it's impossible. <laughs> impossible for you, impossible for me, but we're talking here about the Lord of the universe. And he gives a shout, there's a mighty resurrection. I want you to come to John chapter 5, 28, 29. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. John, John chapter 5, verse 28, 29. Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. That's you, me. And come forth, those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation or as it says in another translation, the resurrection of damnation. So the Bible teaches when Christ returns, he is going to raise the dead. And millions of people are going to hear his voice and they're going to come up out of their tombs. Even if they were buried at sea, they're still going to come back. The Bible teaches, though, in the book of Revelation that there are two resurrections a thousand years apart. And you can read that in Revelation 20, verses 4, 5, and 6. Revelation 20, 4, 5, and 6. Two resurrections of the good and the bad. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. They didn't follow the Antichrist and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. You better understand that. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So they resurrected, they come to life, they resurrected, come to life, and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. But it says, but the rest of the dead, they would be the wicked. You see this? The rest of the dead 
did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now look at me. The Bible says, when Christ comes back, it's a tremendous resurrection. It's the resurrection of the righteous. Those who've got their names in the book of life. Then the Bible says the earth is desolate for a thousand years. And after the thousand years, Christ comes back again. And there is the great resurrection of the wicked. So let me tell you this. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to be resurrected. You can walk out of this meeting today and say, I don't believe it. I don't, don't believe any of this. Stuff. You're still going to be resurrected. Every person, every person here, every person watching our telecast that is now seen on hundreds of television stations around the world, every person, every person is going to be resurrected. As I look around, I find that many of my old college friends are gone. We're all on a journey to the grave. As the hymn says, we're going down the valley one by one. But we have an appointment with God. Years ago, Beverly and I took my dad to a little town by the name of Esk in Queensland, which is just a few miles outside of Brisbane. We went there because my father wanted to go to his father's grave. My father at that time was not a believer. And as he looked down at his father's grave, he said, well, we all have to come to this place and we all have to go down there. It's true. But Beverly said, it's true, Dad, but we all don't have to stay down there. And that's something you've got to get in your soul. You don't all have to stay down there. My father was brought up in the Roman Catholic Church, never read his Bible, had no peace, had no security. But after a period of time, my old father started to read his Bible and he found Christ. And he's going to come up, I believe, in the first resurrection. This is the word of the Lord. Is my name written in the book of life? Because the king is coming. Now Christ returns, here's the third reason, third great truth. He returns to execute judgment on a planet in rebellion. And the text I'm going to read is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 to 9. He returns to execute judgment upon a planet in rebellion. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's pretty strong, isn't it? It says that Christ comes back to redeem and to save his own, but he comes back to execute judgment. Now, I usually have too much in my talks and I've got some other texts that I'm just going to quote them. I'm not going to look them up, but if you're taking notes, Jeremiah 4, 23 to 26, Jeremiah 25, 32 and 33. Listen carefully. The Bible says, 
when Christ comes back, the earth is on fire. All the great cities are broken down and destroyed. There's a tremendous resurrection. God's people are raised. God's living saints are translated and they're caught up and taken home to glory. But the Bible teaches that those who reject the gospel and the love of God are met with the fire of vengeance. People say, no, 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 could could never happen. The Bible says it is going to happen. Some years ago, and I want to give you some hope, I was in Manila, planning to go to Manila again to run a series of evangelistic meetings. I was there on death row, and there were some men who had committed terrible acts, murder. It is my privilege to preach to them the good news of Christ, that Christ had died for them on the cross. I want you to believe this. Christ died for you on the cross. How can you spurn this love? The creator of the universe came down and was crucified for your sins. As I spoke about this, this young man, these young men just teared up. I appealed to them to come to Christ. They came to Christ. They confessed their sins. They repented of their sins. Graham Bradford and I went into a joining room where they had a tank of water, dirty water. We baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They came up out of the water and their faces were glowing with the peace of heaven. You know why? Because one day those young men are going to be with Christ in glory. And there's much more to come when we talk about seven great signs. We'll be back. The Antichrist is in the temple of God. I will read you the actual words of the great Roman Catholic Church. More than a billion people pray to the dead. But the Bible talks very plainly about good angels and bad angels. Why on earth were you and I born? This DVD series from John Carter will be yours with a gift of $50 U.S. or $70 Australian. Write to us at the address on the screen. Visit carterreport.org, your home for inspirational teaching. billion people live in India. Two hundred million of these are Dalits. Dalits, formerly called untouchables, are the lowest members of the caste system. One hundred percent of your gift will go to fund projects for Dalit girls as an alternative to slavery and prostitution. 
Your gift of $600 will educate, clothe, and feed one daylit girl between 5 and 15 years of age for one year. Go to carterreport.org or to the address on the screen to send your gift of $600 and change the life of one Indian daylit girl for one full year. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.